And welcome to Fascinating Nouns. Now, if you are listening to this transmission, we are still the galaxy's most trusted source for incredible people, places, things, and ideas. Now, together we arrive at this curious nexus point, and we will explore the strange, unusual, offbeat, bizarre, intriguing, interesting, invigorating, quirky, quaint, quizzical, weird, wild, wacky, the fun, the frivolous, and the fringe, plus all the spaces in between. I am your host, Daniel J. Glenn. Hello, Fascination. Welcome to the show. So on today's episode, we are going to discuss a fundamental feature of humanity that is often overlooked, but as we're going to find out today, is utterly crucial to our survival. And that is our social bonds, our friendships, the, the, the connections that we have with other human beings. Now, we all know that that can really help us along in a career or, or develop a nice social network. But as Lydia Denworth, our guest today, is going to point out, it can have serious positive physical and mental effects. As a matter of fact, not having a very good social net can cause, it can be the same as obesity or smoking as it relates to our our physical health, which is, I don't know, I I found that to be kind of the fact of her book, which is called Friendship. Uh, We're going to look at, you know, she even modeled it after other primates, monkeys, macaques, baboons. They all have a complex social structure that might rival the royal court of England. So uh, it's pretty impressive. It's hardwired into our DNA. We're going to find that out. And there's lots to it, and it's extraordinarily important. So let's get right to this with Lydia Denworth. Thank you so much for being on the show today. So well, let's start, you know, let's start out with some of the easy stuff. So you kind of split your time between Brooklyn and a sustainable farm upstate. <laughs> Is that right? I do. That is right. My well, my husband, his real business is running that farm. So, um, oh. he's, and so he's there a lot, and yeah. I am there as much as I can be, which depends on the kids and things like that. Yeah, yeah. So now, is, so are you? So you guys own the farm, and he's yeah. the far, he's the farmer. He is the farmer. Yes. <laughs> That's <laughs> he is. great. He now is. I, I see you put links to CBD oils. Is this a marijuana farm. Yeah. Uh, hemp. It's hemp? industrial hemp right now, sure. um, but they did sure, just sure. get a recreational marijuana license. So sure. it's coming. Isn't it kind of amazing? I mean, you know, as we sit here in 2022, uh, you know, I saw this and I just thought it was so interesting that you can have people who have hemp, even hemp farms, but marijuana farms now, and you can get a license from the government. And five years ago, you'd be put away and never see the light of day. I mean, isn't that a weird world we <laughs> live in? Times have changed. Times yeah. have changed. The first time we planted our hemp seeds, we had to have an armed police officer there um, <laughs> standing mean, by the field. I mean, you know, it was yeah, it was silly. Sure. But uh, I mean, we are hemp. We make food and pet and pasture products. So, you know, um, bedding for your hamster and stuff like that. It hardly needs an armed <laughs> guard, but whatever. Go figure. That's great. So do you, I mean, is that, is that kind of the big business is, is hamster bedding? Is that kind of where you guys use your bread and butter? Uh, no, that's it. Well, the hemp business in general is, I mean, there's, it's got multiple prongs to it, but, sure. uh, but the, the pet and pasture, we call it is yeah. the, the bedding and hay and things like that. And we sure. will soon, soon have kitty litter. Um, that's, that's, going gangbusters and then we have a whole food line with terrific snacks and hemp hearts and things like that and uh but then we also are part owners of the dairy down the road and we run that 
And uh, we have some livestock as well. We have some beef cattle and we have had pigs and goats and things like that in the past. Right now we don't, but we might again. I don't know. We'll see. Wow. Yeah. Livestock are tricky. They're they're. Uh, I grew up downwind of a pig farm. And, uh, uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and as you, I learned in the movie Snatch, never trust anyone who owns a pig farm. Uh, it can be a little <laughs> shady business. Uh, so, now, uh. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you I'm going to ask you a bad question here. Usually I do a ton of research and I have to say uh, I may have I may have whiffed on this one. But so is your training as a journalist uh, My training I, I, is as a journalist, not as a scientist. Yes, if that's what you're getting at. Yeah, yeah. Because I saw that you got a degree in history, and then you ended up kind of working in as a science journalist. Um, interesting transition. How did, how did that? Uh, you know, how'd you move into that? Yeah, I am not. If you had told me that I would have been a science journalist, I mean, I always wanted to be a writer. I always wanted to be a journalist. Um, I didn't want to write the great American novel. I wanted to write. <laughs> you know, news stories, uh, feature stories and things like that. So that part of it is completely predictable, but the science part uh, is not at all. I was the kid who took the least amount of science possible, you know, through high school and college. I was, it was just not what I was interested (laughs) in or thought I was good at. Um, Halfway through my journalism career, I kind of morphed into being a science writer a little bit by accident. I got mm-hmm. my very first book uh, is called Toxic Truth. It's a dual biography of a doctor and a scientist that took mm-hmm. on the lead industry. Right. I got interested in that through kind of children's health and things like that, um, which was kind of in my bailiwick, health and education. And, um, and then the book, though, ended up having a lot of heavy duty science in it. And I had to figure out how to understand that and then how to write about it. And I discovered that I was, people thought I was good at it. And I think what it is, is, I mean, in science journalism, you do kind of have to, you either have a whole bunch of English and history majors, sure, or yeah. you have people who were, you know, want, thought they wanted to be scientists and then kind of moved away <laughs> from it or worked as scientists for a while. And so, um, so I'm not alone as being, uh, you know, an untrained, uh, being untrained in science. But um, what I think is good for me personally is that I have to write about it in a way that my old self can understand. You know, I'm <laughs> right. writing for <Yeah>. me. <laughs> right. I'm, um, I'm trying to explain things. Uh, I mean, you know, obviously my, my knowledge run is deeper now mm-hmm. after 15 years of doing this, but I am, um, that's, you know, I like to think that that's what I, why I'm good at it. Well, it's interesting because, you know, I have, um, you know, I, I don't know if you ever caught the show before, but I try to sneak in some shameless self-promotion here. Uh, so <laughs> I, I have a podcast that I do that's about pop culture science, and I'm not mm-hmm. a trained scientist at all. Uh, that's why I have two on the show. But, you know, you and I are simpatico in some ways, except that when I was a kid, I loved science class. Yeah. So ah. does that make me more of an authority to talk about something I don't know about than you? Or is it are we kind of the same thing? <laughs> Oh, uh, I, well, you know, we, we each bring our own expertise. How's that? Um, I love it. No, I have I to, I have to fact check what I say and write. How's ah, that? Yes. And so, yeah. and I have yeah. to actually speak to the scientists themselves and, uh, and, you know, get them to cooperate with me. So right. I feel that I've had to bring, um, I've had to learn a lot. But the thing I will say in journalism is that, you know, there's no such thing as a stupid question. And when, you know, you have you have to come at 
you talk to experts and sometimes you have to even ask questions that you do know the answer to, but you want to hear them answer it and explain yeah. it, or you want to check your knowledge and your understanding. And yeah. so I, um, I do a lot of that and I, uh, and so I have become some, but I, I don't claim at all <laughs> to really be an expert, but what I do know is how to go out and find the people who are and ask them about it. That's what I do best. Well, I love that. I mean, I try to play the rube on this show. I typically, you know, I, I like to take that lawyer approach. Never ask a question you don't know the, don't already know the answer to. Uh, sometimes I will. I'll, I'll go on the, you know, kind of on the limb. And speaking of on the limb, just for the listeners at home, Bailiwick, that's mm-hmm. the same as Wheelhouse, right? That's uh, Exactly. That, okay. Right. <laughs> I, I wanted to make sure. Uh, so before we get into friendship here, Lydia, I want to talk yes. about something else because I want to discuss a recent article of yours. Um, now I'm a fan of the Beatles and uh, I'm going to have an, a brilliant segue at the end of this conversation into how Beatles will lead us into friendship, but you just wrote an essay called can't buy me luck. Brilliant title, mm-hmm. by the way. And <laughs> it's about serendipity's role in their success. Uh, I want to start with this because I love the article. It's a fascinating topic and you go into some really cool details that uh, it's an interesting kind of thought experiment. Like were the Beatles who are many consider to be the greatest rock band of all time and arguably the most talented group of musician, musicians ever to be assembled. Was their success inevitable or was it, or, or was it, uh, you know, kind of a lot of luck serendipity, uh, as I said, uh, this is a great article. How did you get the idea for it? And, and tell me a little bit about, you know, let's walk, walk me through it a little bit. Well, I, I cannot claim the, the idea came from my editor and it really is. Well, you can about, claim that Lydia, yeah. you shouldn't, <laughs> but you can. I'm going to, well, all right. See, yeah. I'm, I, like I said, I'm a, I'm I don't a, fact I check. I started <laughs> as a fact checker. Exactly. Um, I, uh, uh, it's that that paper that uh, article of mine is about a paper that is coming out. So there is going to be a journal of Beatles studies, which mm. by itself tells us just how huge this band is. The fact that we could have an academic journal going to be based <laughs> in guess the University of Liverpool. Love it. Uh, and, <laughs> um, you right. know, and so this uh, so my piece is really about somebody else's thought experiment, Cass Sunstein, who's a pretty famous legal scholar at Harvard, he he wrote this paper and we thought it was intriguing, uh, my editor and I. And we, because the thing is, it's, it's a, so yes, you know, you can have a whole lot of fun. And although for some people it's fighting words to say that the Beatles might not have made it right. right. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, so, but the, but the, truth is about them. They almost split up early on. They had a lot of things that broke their way. They had some, you know, their early manager, Brian Epstein was really, really devoted was, and then George Martin really kind of took a flyer on them Mm -hmm. early on. And, you know, a bunch of things had to go their way. And the point of the article is to say it is possible and that it, you know, great success does not is not only about talent. It's definitely true that talent matters Mm -hmm. because if they had been terrible, they would not have become the Beatles that we know and love today. But, um, but they were not, they were not so amazing at the beginning is what, you know, my (laughs) understanding of it is. And so, uh, so, but I had a lot of fun 
I mean, it's not every day that you get to just play with, uh, with Beatles lyrics in your writing, you know, in the, <laughs> like how yeah. many times can I, how many, how many, you know, things can I riff off of here? Sure. Uh, it was just a lot of fun to get in the long and winding road and imagine there are no Beatles and, you know, the, so it was fun, but, but that article is also, um, What's important about it is that it isn't really just about the Beatles. It's about this idea that is, you know, what leads to success mm -hmm. and is success, um, you know, are there people who are just, it's foreordained that they're going to be successful Is talent, right. everything, or does some other stuff come into it? And, uh, and mo many, many people feel that there's, you know, there's a lot of serendipity involved, which I think we can take as encouraging for us, uh, mere mortals, you know, that we can wake up one morning and, you know, like, like Cass Sunstein says in the piece, you know, lightning could strike and sure. you and I <laughs> <laughs> could become the Beatles. I don't know. Sure. It seems maybe, you know, let's believe. Well, I love that because again, uh, so I'm reading a book for a future, uh, for a future episode about the power of delusion. And in mm. chapter one, one of the delusions is your future is brighter than you think and that we all think we are better than we actually are. So you've yeah. just hit that. Talk about wheelhouse. I, exactly. <laughs> you just, you just so, powered that you know, out of the box. I think you have, you have to believe. You have to believe. Or you also, you could also argue that it, it's telling you that you have to stick at it. Um, although I will say, uh, you probably saw in there that there's, you know, one of the examples is that literary fame can be pretty fickle. And there are mm -hmm. people from the... 18th and 19th century writers who were not the ones that we think of as the most famous writers of the time, like Jane Austen and William Blake, were not all that popular when they were writing at the time. Right. Problem is they had to die <laughs> to get right. Yeah. To get to famous, to get to the level of fame that they have. So I don't know if that that's really what we're all after. Right. But um, <laughs> but, know. Uh, you know, you needed a like a you needed a really good biographer to come along and want to tell your story in an engaging way. And then but so there were, you know, we, we don't have a whole lot of control over that. Yeah. Well, you have to have you have to have talent, but you also in some ways have to have an interesting story that led you to that talent. Like if you came from privilege and had every advantage and you were successful, what no one it's wants boring. to root for that. Well, it's boring, it's but boring. no one wants to root for that guy or girl. Well, right. 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 <laughs> you no. know, this is true. This uh, is true. One of the things and I, I want to move uh, we'll move off this, but I, I want to talk about this great um, uh, quote from there, which is there are a lot of very talented people out there. And there's some process that selects a very small number of them to be super famous, which is an interesting phenomenon. There's also this idea of cascading events where one thing mm -hmm. happens, which leads to another, which leads to another, and it all cascades and then everything kind of works out. Um, you know, it's interesting because when we look at what's famous, who who is famous now and w what is famous now, and you look to the up and coming medium like the Internet, to me, that process is working. There are a lot of super famous people, you know, uh, YouTube and TikTok and, you know, all these social media platforms. And to me, they're mediocre at best, which goes against that whole talented thing. And to what it says to me is that this process is stranger, more difficult to figure out and more powerful than talent. Because if you can harness and ride whatever that process is, you can reach that superstardom and that talent you don't necessarily need it. That's a lesson I took. I don't know if that's what you meant to take, but uh, that's my take on it. Uh, well, so I would say that actually we're talking about sustained success, though. Mm -hmm. And in, sure. in, and so the Beatles, 
you know, they might have in an internet world been a huge hit at the time, but would they have lasted this mm. long? Right. Mm. I don't think that you, I don't think some of those TikTok stars of today are going to be people that we remember. I don't know. Oh, well, wow. let's see. Well, oh, we'll wow. come back, you know, fighting words, Lydia, fight <laughs> fighting words. words again. Yeah. Holy I'm cow. I'm really living on the edge today. <laughs> Shots fired over <laughs> the know, bow. I, I do think, and, and it, it does say there in that article of mine that, you know, a certain level of talent is, is a requirement for this kind of sustained success. But yeah. you're right yeah. that, that our current setup, um, of social media is allowing for some weird stuff to happen. There's, there's, there's no question about that, but I just, uh, you know, dare I say, I don't think the Kardashians have staying power. Like 14 the, years on top. Yeah. What are you talking about? I also tell you yeah, that that's not, that's not decades like the yeah. Beatles. That's, that's fair. Not, you know, that's yeah. not Jane Austen. That's not the Beatles. That's not, you know, sure. Well, I will tell you, I just wanted to hear you say that I'm right. That's really, I get try to get that in once an episode. So you did it. Uh, that's what I'm looking for. Well, one of my best friends in high school got me into the Beatles. I mean, he's yeah. the reason, he's the reason I, I really love the Beatles. Um, and you know, and it's, it's kind of disappointed me that I'm not better friends with him, uh, which is kind of the theme of the book. You know, you, you kind of, you literally wrote the book on friendship. It's called friendship. Mm -hmm. That's the title. Uh, and you kind of went, kind of got into this, uh, just uh, tell me if I'm wrong with any of this, but you got into it because the, the scientific community doesn't really didn't really give a lot of attention to friendship, which seems to be a fundamental force in human life, you know? Um, and as you talk in the book, it, uh, it helps with your mental health and it, you know, keeps you kind of level and May is mental health month, uh, which is important. Uh, mm. but one of the things that I have to say, and we'll get into this is after reading your book, it kind of depressed me. Uh, oh, it no. was such a downer. That wasn't what yeah. I was after. No, I know. I know why. you weren't. But it's it's when I I don't think that I'm as great at making and sustaining friendships. And I realized mm. by reading it that I'm woefully deficient. As a matter of fact, Lydia, I think that the the nail in my coffin is you talk about how, and I'm getting ahead of myself here, but uh, you talk <laughs> about these, um, you know, all these studies with baboons and and um, and macaques, and so <laughs> you have this one study where you say that um, there are in the macaque, I think it's the macaques or baboons, you know, correct me if I'm, I'm wrong, mm. whichever one it is here, but that, that one third of them are really sociable, a third mm -hmm. of them are average sociability, and then a third of them are terrible at, at being social. But of those third that are terrible, one half of those, so uh, one sixth, are just, they don't care. They're introverts, and they're not really interested in making friends. But the other sixth really want to make friends, and they try really hard. They're just woefully unsuccessful at it. And I think I fall yes. into that category, and I was like, ah! Serendipity, go from serendipity of the Beatles to super fame to the, you know, the, the draw of that. And I was like, oh, God, I got to get better at this, Lydia, because as you point out in your book, it's super important. It is super important. So what I hope people will take away from the book is one, that it is super important. And two, that if you come away feeling like you do, that, you know, it's not working quite as well as you would like for you that it's worth your time and attention to do something about that. And, uh, and I have 
I have thoughts. I have thoughts about how we do that, which we can get into in, in sure. a little bit. Yeah. But you're right. Those those so those were macaques at the UC Davis uh, Primate Center um, mm, okay. that they were studying how they were um, sort of. Well, anyway, yes, they so they were able to kind of come up with this sense of their different social personalities. And mm -hmm. and the really important thing is that that group that that the group that wants to be social but can't be. They're lonely, really. Um, I mean, you know, we have to be careful about conflating the experience of a monkey with the experience of a person. Yeah. But loneliness is the mismatch between the amount of social connection you have mm -hmm. and the amount of social connection you want. Right. Uh, yeah. And so if you if you feel there's a mismatch, it's 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 subjective, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's how you feel about it. And that is like the worst thing for your health, for your health and well-being. Right. It's and it actually <laughs> right. destroys. I mean, you mentioned mental health, but yeah. it's your cardiovascular health, your immune system, your cognitive health, your mental health, your sleep, your stress responses, and like even the rate at which your cells age. So you are going to age a little faster if you are really lonely yourself. And it's that is depressing. Yeah. But is. there's an answer. Talk the about answer cascading events, are, Lydia. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> you're putting it all piling it on top here. Well, but I want people to take this seriously. I feel like mm -hmm. we take friendship for granted mm -hmm. or we don't think it's as important as it is. You know, mm -hmm. we're really, really caught up in the importance of our romantic relationships and our biological family relationships. And those matter a lot. But friends are, you know, over the long haul, friendship is as important as diet and exercise. And like you saw, making being good and making and maintaining friends has real evolutionary advantages mm -hmm. for us, which yeah. is what we're basically getting at with all that health. Yeah, yeah. And so it is something that is worth our time and attention um, is what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, well, to compare it, to, I think you compared it to cigarettes and obesity. I mean, this is, mm -hmm. this is serious business. Uh, but, you know, I, I like that we talked about the macaques and the baboons first because, you know, primates, as you mentioned, are geared for social behavior. I'm mm -hmm. OK. You know, I, I'm OK conflating humans and macaques and, and, <laughs> and especially great apes because we I think we're so similar. And one of the, the flaws of human nature is to think we are above and better than the creatures that are that shared 97% of our DNA. Come on. <laughs> like, yeah. the, it's yeah. pretty close. Yeah. The things we don't share are, you know, arm length, uh, hair on the body. It has nothing to do with the <laughs> sociability. I think we are so socially close uh, that it's, you know. Yeah, no, you if know you I mean? hang out watching the baboons or the macaques for a little while, you really see all kinds of behavior that looks, you know, an awful lot. Like <laughs> humans, I gotta yeah. say, it's, yeah, it's, it's a little yeah. scary. Bizarrely similar. To, to Bizarrely what similar, yeah. exactly. They just you don't have a microphone, but they're talking right. to each other. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> oh, similar. they totally are. They communicate and they, you know, they do all kinds of things. It's, uh, it's, it's fascinating. And so, but, but in all seriousness, studying other species and especially non-human primates that are closest to us um, genetically and, and neurally in their brains um, has really helped us get more serious about friendship and understand just how important it is because nobody really thought about other animals as having friends before the last, say, 20 years. And, uh, and once they did and they realized that friendship existed or friendship or something like it existed in these other animals and that there had to be a reason for it, an evolutionary reason for it. It isn't just this nice byproduct of human civilization and language. Like that's kind of what we thought before that it was cultural Right. And uh, and sure, there's a lot of cultural elements to it, but it's also deeply biological. And that's the part that I think most people 
didn't get and that these studies in these other animals um, really revealed to us. So that's kind of the goal of my book is to is to go into all that kind of science. I also just think it's incredibly cool the way the (laughs) evolution of knowledge on this subject has come along and Mm -hmm. that now we're like, you know, having respect for something like friendship, um, which, you know, it's not this ephemeral um, loosey-goosey thing that should just be written about in women's magazines or whatever. It's, <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's, we're talking sure. about serious stuff here. Yeah. Uh, and so, um, so anyway, the, that's what the animals have done us a big service because they have, they, we can see in them, we can kind of strip away the complexities of human life and understand what's really going on and what really matters. And it's, it is their level of connection. Well, you you mentioned the the evolution of both the both of the evolution of friendship and of, you know, the study of it. And it's funny. So, you know, I I spoke with a guy named Henry Gee about the uh, about the evolution of life on Earth. And when we got to humans, Mm. there's a couple interesting things here. Um, Humans, their biggest advantage, the reason why we are so successful from an evolutionary standpoint is the fact that we work in groups. Uh, that is more important, which requires friendship. I mean, even if it's the friend, mm-hmm. the enemy of my enemy is your friend, or we need to get this rock up the hill, you know, even yeah. temporary friendship. But working in groups, that's the key evolutionary advantage. It's not our gigantic brains, because we're not the only people who have big brains in comparison to their body. Uh, it's not the opposable thumb. And it's in line, this one was actually shocking to me, it's in line with the highly advantageous evolutionary advantage of menopause, which allows the, rep, uh, you know, humans to be the repository of knowledge and allows the mm-hmm. older generations to take care of the younger generations while the middle generation mm-hmm. gets for food. That's important. But it's this working in groups, which that is kind of the case, right? Like when you have a family of three, four generations, that is a group. You know, um, but when you extend it to other people, this is where humans really excel. It is. It is. And and the working in groups, though, the size of our brains, you're right. I, we don't need to get into the sort of nitty gritty. And there's a scientific dispute, I guess you could say, mm. about exactly which thing is the most important. Sure. Uh, but um, but what I would say is that the the working in groups required our brains to become bigger and bigger, because mm-hmm. if you think about like how you have to, you, if you're going to work in a group, you need to be able to kind of suss out who's who and what their relationships are to each other. Right. And you need to be able to remember what happened the last time you hung out with this It's politics. Guy. You got to know it's, it's inter, inter, inter <laughs> primate politics. politics. Gotta, yeah. Totally. Yeah. Totally. That's why, you know, the, the famous primatologist, uh, Franz de Waal, his first big book was called Chimpanzee Politics. And it was, right. a, it was, <laughs> it was a huge hit sure. um, because, you know, it, it, it looks a lot like that. And right. so uh, but there's and I think that's some of the stuff we don't like we get we as humans get into the, you know, into the weeds about worrying about what other people are thinking or doing. But mm-hmm. we forget we, if you take a step back and you look, it's it's kind of awe-inspiring that we can do it at all and that we – like what was required to get there, right? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. yes, that's what – but, yes, working in groups gives us cooperation and it gives us um, – which is huge. It's how we, you know, build build cities and go to the moon and and, uh, and all kinds of important things, right? But even killing and, a um, mammoth. And, I mean, even killing a mammoth or, or bringing in a, a walrus, even, right? I mean, you need, can't do it on your right. own. Back in the day, nope. And, and it was all about protection from predators and hunting and finding food, foraging for food was massively important, right? That was how you spent 
most of your day and your energy. And so the more teamwork you had, the better it was. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so, yep, you needed groups and, and pretty quickly those groups became bigger than just the immediate biological families. And there are relationships then in those groups and then they, they expand. And, you know, now we have cities, tens of millions of people, but, um, but it all really started. It started on the plains, the savannas of Africa with these, larger groups as they, they became bigger and bigger. And, um, and our brains expanded to accommodate all that sociability. Right. Um, there you have the other, the, all the layers in the brain, you know, I mean, you have to, oh, advance totally. stuff. Uh, so let's talk about this word friend, you know, the, the, ti- the, the title of your book is friendship. Uh, there's also a subtitle in there. I just like saying friendship because it makes it seem like it's the book. Uh, but the word friend <laughs> is, it's a little weird, you know? I mean, I think it, even in the book, you find it hard to define. Uh, I think you say, if we restricted it to people you aren't related to and don't have sex with, then sister and spouse can't be best friends. And also how social media has devalued the word to be almost meaningless. Mm-hmm. You know, if you go, if you're on Facebook, you're friending somebody. And I remember one of uh, right. one of my friends, <laughs> I loved, she was so exact with her wording. And it was always befriending people. She never said, I friended them. It was always befriend. And I love that. <laughs> she's she's such yes. a character. Uh, but it's weird because we use it so loosely, kind of like how we've destroyed the meaning of the word love. Uh, mm. So how do you define it? And, you know, in your book, and are there multiple definitions or or did you find that? Did you de- find the unified definition of friendship? I did. Oh, I did. Yes. I, exclusive. Here's an exclusive. <laughs> I, have, I have a definition of friendship. Well, but I but I do want before I deliver it, I want okay. to say Set that that up. for a lot of people, friendship is, a friend is exactly what you said from the book is that you know someone you're not related to and don't have sex with, except and that so. On some levels, that is true, right? That is what we think of it as. But um, but we also can be friends or not with people that we have sex with or are biologically related to. And so there's more to it than that. And so what using the science of all the different, I mean, especially the baboons and the macaques, the evolutionary biologists who were watching them, but then also anthropologists who looked at friendship in cultures around the world, it basically comes down to this set of minimum requirements. So a, a good, a good friend, <laughs> yeah. a good friend uh-huh. is three things. Right. It's a long lasting relationship. It's positive. So it makes you feel good mm-hmm. and it's cooperative. It's got a, a reciprocity to it, a back and forth. And so those three buckets, like if you ask a human being to define friendship, they'll usually use words like loyalty, trust, companionship, fun. And that's all in there. That's in those buckets. But these, this this is true if you're a baboon or if you're a person um, that that these things all work and they make a relationship that um, and you need sort of all the legs of the stool. So mm-hmm. the long lasting part, I mean, so you can like somebody from the minute you meet, but it takes time to make friends, right. to be the kind of friend that you can count on to protect you from the lions when the lions come running. Right. Whether they're literal or figurative, right? Because yeah. we have plenty of figurative lions in our world today. Sure, yeah. uh, and you need your friends. You need your friends there to help you out mm. when the hard times come. Mm. Like that's a big, big piece of what friendship is about. And we were talking about, yeah. you know, pulling down the mammoth or, or, um, or, you know, well, finding food and protecting from predators and all those things that it started with, we still use it that way today. Uh, and so you, you need that 
long lasting, you need to have a, it's, it's the, it's the repeated re- interactions between people that build over time. And then you be, you end up with a kind of story of your friendship, of your relationship. And, um, but so it's a stable presence, but it's positive. That's like one of the most important things to me is that both individuals need to feel good. It needs to make you feel good more often than not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this is the thing where we have friends. Sometimes we have friendships that are a little complicated, especially like sure. the old ones, right? Yep. People, I hear a lot about people saying, you know, they have these, these old friends and they have a lot of shared history, but when they're together, it's draining or, you know, mm-hmm. it's something. Yeah. Um, and so I think we have to do a little bit of work of looking at which relationships feel positive and make you feel good, but also are you being positive? Are you bringing that to your friendships, right? Right, Like how good of a friend are you? Um, And the reciprocal cooperative part gets at the, the point that over time it, it it needs to go both ways Um, that there's a give and take to a relationship. That's a, that's a good quality friendship and that, that it, um, and so it shouldn't be too lopsided. It can be lopsided for a little while, but, eventually it's got to sort of even out, you know, it's got to, it's my turn right now. I'm in crisis, but then when you're in crisis, I'll be there for you kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, in human speak, you know, I'll have you over to dinner now and then eventually you'll have me over to dinner someday. It's not a tit for tat. It's not like, you know, well, I'm not having you over again until you have me. (laughs) It's not that that's what I'm talking about, but, but that, that back and forth and that reciprocity is really important. And, Other people might have other definitions of friendship, but these three things, the stability, positivity, and reciprocity and cooperativeness, Mm -hmm. those are the ones that give you the bang for the buck in your biological health and your longevity. If you have relationships like that, you will live longer and be healthier and be happier. So that's why I like my definition. Oh, I like it too. I do want to call you out a little bit because it starts out very simple. You're like, it's these simple three things. And then 15 minutes later with all the, uh, well, if this works and then if this, but then it, yeah, it's long lasting, right. but yeah. <laughs> it's complicated, right. well, but it's, com- fair, it's complicated fair. though. Right. Fair. I mean, it's, it seems simple, but there is, there's so much nuance to it because every relationship is so different and it can fit those bills, but it can fit them in different you know, in different levels and different, you know, there's advantages, disadvantages. So I understand what you're saying. It is simple, but it's also complex, kind of like the game of chess in a way. Sure. Fair. Okay. Fair. You know what I mean? Calling me out. Uh, Yeah, that's okay. Uh, (laughs) Yes. No, it's true. But you mentioned one other thing here that I think it that I thought was interesting is it's the repeated interactions. It's, it's the, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the story of your friendship. We're, we're, we're a narrative group of species, right? We love our movies. We love TV. We love our stories, you know, going back Mm -hmm. to, you know, the oral traditions. We we love hearing uh, all those types of things. And I think that that's an advantage. You talk about uh, in the book, I don't know if it's you or you quote somebody, but you say how many hours it takes to make a friend. It's so, (laughs) it's so weird to see this kind of broken down into exact numbers, you know, like the the 10,000 hours to greatness type of thing. But uh, to move from acquaintance to, to casual friend, it's 40 to 60 hours. That's not bad. It's a work week. Right. Um, but 200 hours to best friend, that seems right. that seems short. No? Well, that depends. If you are, let's say, a college student mm-hmm. uh, and you are living in a dorm yeah. with, with your friends or potential friends, you're in class, you eat together, you play together, you study together, you sleep in the same building, you know, mm-hmm. you it's really easy to rack up 200 hours together. It's a heck of a lot harder if you're... 38 years old and you're single and you're working all the time and you don't 
not particularly close to the people that you work with, um, or you, you know, you need to do something other than, um, well, so if you're getting your 200 hours by like going out for drinks or going out for dinner, then that's a lot of dinners and a lot of drinks (laughs) or it's a lot of conversation. Right. And so it can be hard to get that kind of time with people. And so, yeah, that was, it's the work of, um, a researcher named Jeff Hall at the university of Kansas. And, uh, yeah, I couldn't believe that he'd done this study, which I thought was amazing. And (laughs) so he did two things. He, he asked college students, who were new, I guess they had, I think they had transferred if I'm remembering correctly. So they were new on campus and like before they met anybody, he talked to them and then he like had them talk about people that they hung out with and, and, and give the sense. So he was literally able to get those, what he calls cut points of how long it took for the relationship to change. But he also did it with adults who moved to new cities for jobs. And, uh, and so it isn't only a college student thing. Cause one of the things about science is that they yep. tend to study college students. <laughs> I was just say that's, science, yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> it's just, yeah. you know, it's, it's, uh, and so there's a little bit of a bias there. And so it's good to go out and ask the question of somebody else. Yeah. Um, and so, so, um, but, you know, people can quibble and they can say, you know, well, I, um, that seems like a, lo- a lot of time or it seems like not a lot of time or I, you know, I don't have that kind of time or I like this person right away. And I'm not really, you know, we don't have to, the, the point, the really important point is that it does take time mm-hmm. to both make and then maintain a friendship. You need to put energy into it. Right. Yep. And, um, it doesn't just come for free. It feels like it comes for free when you're young because you're surrounded by people, your same age, potential friends, right? It can feel that way. It can also be painfully hard for some people. I mean, the, the pain of feeling socially excluded is, is, um, serious. It's as bad as physical pain in our brains. Right. So anyway, I'm rambling here, so I'm going to stop, but, (laughs) (laughs) but, but, but I just want to really, I, I think it's important that people understand the time, but that's, but that's okay because it's so worth investing in. Like, I think the problem we have in society is this sense that like, first I got to put in the time with my immediate family, then I got to work. And then if I have time left over, I'll spend it with my friends. And I'm saying, uh, no, well, yes, you have to spend time at work and you have to spend time with your immediate family, but understand that some of those friends relationships are just as important or can be just as powerful in your life, but you do need to prioritize them. Yeah. Don't just keep dropping them to the bottom of the list. Um, and I just want to circle back before we forget it, that my, the point about like your spouse or your sister sibling being your best friend is that if they fit all my, the definition it's, you know, a steady, reliable relationship is positive and it's cooperative and reciprocal and it makes you, so it makes you happy. Right. And it's, it's, um, then that can be a friend and that's okay. Like it blurs the, the, the science kind of clarifies some things, but blurs other lines. Right. Yeah. It, 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 it's more all about the quality of the relationship, no matter who it's with than anything else. Yeah. Well, there's a lot going on there that I wanted to, to comment on, but th- mm. that last one's interesting because it seems weird to me. I mean, I, I'm not married, but um, if when you are, most people want their spouse to fit those three buckets, right? I mean, if they, if it isn't long lasting uh, and if it's not reciprocal <laughs> and it's not positive, then what are you doing in it? <laughs> right? You know? I mean, well, but there's a lot of not so happy marriages out there. Yeah. Um, so this, but the other thing that's interesting about this, and this is where, um, you know, the, the term friend is, is somewhat is, is cultural. I mean, we were getting at this before, um, with the questions about how we use it on social media and things like that. But so there's a really interesting study in both, 
uh, Jacksonville, Florida and Mexico City, where they asked all these people whether they consider their spouse their best friend. And in Florida, I think it was something like 60% of the people said yes. And in Mexico, it was like zero. Um, but that's not, <laughs> it's not, we think that doesn't mean that people in Mexico City have really crappy marriages. It's that they don't use the word best friend right. to describe their spouse, right. or that phrase. Um, and in the U.S., we do. Um, but, you know, it's so we can we can argue over the semantics of it. But the point is, is that person? Yes, you're absolutely right. What we hope in a marriage is that you, you know, I really hope for people who are married that they have that. Um, uh, it's um, but. And, but, you know, marriages exist for a lot of reasons. And, um, sometimes people put up with stuff, uh, that they, and the same is true. I mean, certainly with your biological family, I mean, you know, think about, we wouldn't have so much drama over Thanksgiving every year if we really just loved and adored <laughs> right. our biological relatives. Yeah. Right. I mean, you're lucky if you have that, but not everybody does. No, I think that, I mean, I think all that's really true. Now that's a whole nother set of stuff that, that we can get into, but I want to go yeah. back to something that I think is really okay. important because you talked about the time investment, right? You're saying that, you know, investing mm -hmm. in your friends is extraordinarily important. And I agree with you 100%. But the other things that you mentioned are also really important because I'm guessing that if you have a wife and kids, they're not going to be cool with you just like going to the, you know, going to the local watering hole to hang out with your buddies all the time. As the Simpsons have taught us, mm -hmm. Marge doesn't like it when Homer goes to Moe's. <laughs> uh, so, you know, what's no. he supposed to do? So you have to invest the time there. You have to invest in a career work or, you know, there's that 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 financial thing. Money's money comes in really handy, yes. uh, comes in super yes, handy. It does. Uh, so, you know, when when you look at 24 hours in a day and you look at as you get older, you do have these other obligations you have to cut from somewhere. I mean, this is just like with, with budgets, except, you know, except with state and federal budgets where you just seem to borrow from thin air. But in real life, <laughs> when you only have a certain set of resources and you have to budget them and you can't pull them out of nowhere, time is one of those things. We have a limited amount of time in our days, in our lives. We have to, we have to, you know, we have cut it up in the proper way. And sometimes, Lydia, unfortunately, to our detriment, I'm not saying it's not, but it has to come from somewhere. And if it can't come from our mm -hmm. wife and kids, and if it can't come from our work, where's it going to come from? Do we, do, we, do we get to sleep, Lydia? What's going on? Where are we supposed to find this, this, this <laughs> time? You're absolutely right. Once again, Boom. you are right, Daniel. You. Uh, <laughs> but, but, um, what, what it, what I think we need to do is um, well, I use the kind of metaphor in the in the book of of concentric circles, mm -hmm. and this is what how psychologists have people talk about their relationships in their lives. And most of us have in our very small, our most inner circle, we have an average of just four people that we feel most connected to. And if you are married, we hope your spouse is in that circle. Um, if you're not. You know, it could be all friends. It could be your siblings. Sure. It totally depends on on who you are, right? But but you you have four people that you feel really really connected to and that you rely on. The bulk of your time is going to go to those people mm. in that inner circle. But ideally, not just your spouse. For instance, if you're married, like it's. I think the point is not that not that everybody should just go hang out with their. Uh, friends all the time at the expense of their spouse and children if they have them, but that neither should they feel that they can never do it. Like there are, you know, there's, and the spouse is on the spouse too, to say, Hey, it's important that you go 
you know, maintain that friendship, go spend some time with your friends. Right. I'm good with that because I know that's important for you. And it's actually better for me if you have strong relationship with your friends. And sometimes we have people who don't do that. You know, they're just pissed off all the time. If you're at the bar or, or you have house, jealous, or, you know, jealous people. Yeah, and there's, or, there's a lot that goes yeah, on. No, there's a lot high yeah, maintenance lot people. It's I not mean, that simple. Right. Lydia. No. Well, okay. But it you know, tricky. but it is, it's, of course it's tricky, but, but, you see, this is what we do, though. We're looking. You're looking for reasons not to do it, and you're I'm telling a realist, me, baby. You know. I'm, I, I'm telling you how it really is, Lydia. You got those rose-colored no. glasses, and I'm telling you, it's not no, as simple no, as that. No, for no, the people no, listening, I so, want them to be able to do this. I feel I was convinced by your book and how important this is, but there are real-life yes. obstacles that come into play. We got to live it. We got to live in reality, Lydia. So I'm trying to find ways that we can do that with that are possible and not just you know figments of our imagination. So. Listen, mm. I raised three kids, had a career, have been married a long time. Um, and so I've had a very, very busy run mm -hmm. the last couple of years, you sure. know, whatever it's, things are getting a little easier now. My kids are bigger. Um, but, uh, but so I know how hard it is, um, to find the time, but so you, you know, you, you'll have to titrate it. Right. But maybe it's even, even if you don't actually have time to physically get together, maybe you have time for a phone call or you have a WhatsApp thread going where you joke around and you just check in with each other on a, on the regular. You know, it's there's ways of showing up for people that don't all require going to the bar every Saturday <laughs> sure. night with your friend yeah. and not your spouse right. or whatever it is, right? Like there's the the point is to show up in the broadest sense um, mm -hmm. and uh, to the extent possible in your life and to ask yourself sincerely if there are more opportunities than you think there are to be with your friends. Mm -hmm. Just like, could you, could you take it up just a little bit one notch, right? From where you are. Well, how about we start there? You know, don't be the person who's just forever saying, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's get together. Let's get together. If that's never going to happen. Um, but try to come up with something that is realistic. Like, even if it's like a, okay, I want to make sure I see this person once a year, there's people we want to see um, and don't like it's it just gets easy to let the busyness of life get in the way. And I'm saying stop and pay attention and sort of rethink whether every time that you kind of ditch your friends or say, no, I can't do that. Um, you have to, you know, is is there one time in in five that you could have gone? That would be better than not. That's I'm, you know. Yeah. I guess I'm being more, I'm saying like, uh, just try. Well, you, <laughs> try well listen, you, you called me out if we're trying to find all the, 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 the hurdles. And I'm just, like I said, I was being a realist, but I'll give you a hack, Lydia. This is, this is something that I think is super helpful is if you want, okay. if you want to do that, you know, it's kind of like the advantage that dog walkers have, right? Like you don't make a lot of money walking one dog. You make a lot of money walking five dogs at once. I wouldn't want my dog mm. walked with, with in a pack, but that's my personal mm. preference. But how does mm. that apply here? Have like a poker night. You can get five or six people in one go. There you go. Boom. If you do that once a month, uh, I yep. mean, how great is that? Go. Like that's, you, you don't have to dedicate so much time to inv individual people. I think it's important. 
But, you know, if you're really pressed for time, you know, I think hitting a lot of people with one punch is a great idea because it also works for them, too. It's not just advantageous for you, but every person at that table is also meeting with six or seven other people uh, once once every month. And so it's you're doing it for everybody. And that's the altruism that makes human beings so successful, Lydia. Uh, you know, I think that that's really true. Um, but I want to move into the impo- not only the importance of, you know, you talked about how important it is and we can look at studies and, you know, obesity, smoking Sounds crazy. But Mm -hmm. this all goes back to the social brain, which you talk about in the book as well. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, our our physical dependency on other people literally begins when we enter the world. And all of our interactions are kind of set on the template between us and our mother, uh, which is, uh, you know, which is. If you had a great upbringing, that's cool. And you're like, oh, Mm -hmm. perfect. You know, Mm -hmm. I got set up for life. If things didn't go so well in the beginning, it can be tricky. It can be, you know, tricky going forward. Um, So I understand all that. But tell me how important it is as a kid. I mean, reading faces is one of the first things that you do as a child. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, uh, touch is very important. Babies can't see. So let's talk about the early stages and why it's so important there and how that leads through life. So humans come into the world kind of predisposed to be social mm-hmm. uh we're we're yeah we gravitate to faces and literally meaning like two two like two eyes and a nose and a mouth <laughs> right, like yeah. anything that looks like two eyes sure. and a nose and a mouth we babies will like track that yeah. um and so we want to be social and clearly evolutionarily we figured out that that these these weird faces that are looking back at us are going to be important, right? Yep. They're going to be important for our survival. Uh, and in the first two years of life, like you can track, and they had neuroscientists have done this, they've tracked how the social parts of a baby's brain um, develop. Yep. And, and there's this just, in, just sort of straight up trajectory of robust huh. like, refining of their social abilities and, in, uh, and awareness. So audio, what they hear, what they see, how they respond, how they interpret it gets better and better and better, yeah. right? In this really intense way. So much so that like they can tell the difference between a baby born like Tuesday and Thursday based on their <laughs> social brain, right? Like how it's, their social brain has yeah, changed. Wow. And, uh, and so so it's this fundamentally important thing. You're absolutely right that the mother, generally the mother, the primary caregiver um, is hugely important. And, you know, we hope that, most people get enough of what they need. I mean, there is such a thing as a good enough mother. You know, it doesn't have to be, um, but, uh, but, but sure. I mean, that's a whole other story to talk about sure. here. But, um, but, but the, the good news is that most mothers are going to do this, what they need to do just by interacting with their baby. Mm-hmm. Right. And so when, and then when babies give you like a social smile and the mutual gaze, the first time a baby really looks into your eyes and smiles at you, like not just from gas, but really smiling. <laughs> right, yeah. it's, a, it's like this miraculous moment and your baby has sort of become a social being that doesn't usually happen until they're about three months old. And, but the, the most parents, um, are, you know, are down for that and are, are into it and they interact. And so those first couple of years of life, Humans are gathering all their information about the social world from the adults in their world, from their parents mm-hmm. uh, or their caregivers. Um, and and then it's like when they get into school and they start, I mean, maybe they've had siblings and, you know, maybe they're interacting with some other kids, but uh, we hope that they are. But um, but if they weren't, they get to school and suddenly now their time with peers, their same age, just 
goes right. like, you know triples right yeah. it's it's uh and then there's a whole new set of skills they're learning that they couldn't learn from their parents it's things like collaboration and and how to give support and not just receive it because you know a four-year-old is not giving their parent that much support necessarily and yet right. being a good friend it's that's a requirement sure. right so there's things you need to learn from school in school so there's like a whole new phase that we go through and new skills that we're learning mm-hmm. so all through life i mean friendship is important from the beginning, but yes, it's, it's formed in this, these early days with our parents and then in school and all the social skills we're learning. But one of the things I think is really, really important for parents and teachers and adults to do is understand the extent to which kids need to learn those social skills and, and to, uh, and to perfect them. And we, we tend to spend a whole lot of time focusing on teaching kids like, the academic skills they need or how to, you know, emphasizing once they get into school, you know, sports or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And that's all great. My kids are athletes and um, I'm all for that. But um, but we need to actually understand that that the friendship time that they get where they can sort of make mistakes even and, and, and interact with these other kids is going to be critically important for their. It's like one of the most important skills they could develop for their whole lives. Right. And so they need to do it when they're young. And sometimes we're so focused on achievement in other ways with kids that we're not, mm-hmm. um, but that's anyway, I'm getting away from the social brain of the baby. I know, it's but, right. um, <laughs> but I feel like this is really important that a lot of adults don't really, um, give it the, again, we don't give it the time and attention that it needs for kids. Well, you know, it's one of the things that, you know, with kids, it's difficult. Cause I mean, I was a kid, right? So in some ways <laughs> I, I have a say in what it was like for me as a kid, but I don't have any of my own. So guiding them, right. I, I feel, look, we live in a world where no one's afraid to give their opinions. I just happen to know that mine weighs is it can be weighed very differently. <laughs> Yours is worth yeah, less. Well, worth, I think it's worth less, significantly less, because I don't have, I haven't gone through the process of raising a kid. Thank right. God, because um, I think it's really difficult. But one of the things, you know, that was interesting to watch during COVID is how, um, you know, we we you would have people, your kids staying home, and everyone complaining about them not mm. being social because everything's online, and you know, and, and one part of me was like, yeah, that makes sense. I understand that it's unavoidable, so stop complaining about it. But I get that. Mm. But also. Stop letting your kids be on their tablet and playing video games while they're supposed to be working. Like if you want them to be social, you can still do Mm. that in a system where, okay, maybe there's faces on a screen, but you can still be social. It doesn't have to be in person. Like you said, you know, talking people once a month, you're still building those social bonds. And I think the parents were so worried that the only social ability, the the only social bonding you can do has to be in person and it has to be in school. And I think that that's a fallacy. I think you can do that. You just have to work a little bit harder. Uh, But I think it's important. And I think the other thing here, is that we, we we are so weird as just as in, in the way humans work, right? Where you have you you you're relying on people. You grow up, you find your peers, then you're in school until high school or, or maybe even into college, and you're surrounded by people that are your same age. You should be working on these social skills, mm-hmm. but if you're bad at it, mm-hmm. you've been practicing in the bad way, right? Like I'm an athlete, and if you practice incorrectly, you're, then your skills aren't going to work in a game, and you're still going to stink. You know, you have to pra- perfect practice makes perfect, not regular practice. So you have that problem where if you didn't learn it, and we do it for yeah. so long, and then Lydia, once you leave <laughs> college and you go into the real world. The real world is filled with people who are 
probably not your peers. And you go from being just inundated with people who are your same age, same interests, you know, uh, anything you want, you can find people that, that do the things you want to do. Then you leave college and it's a, there's no transition. It is just, you are now in the real <laughs> world. You get that diploma. See you later, pal, write the check. And uh, now you got to learn a whole new, you got to put those skills to work immediately. That's kind of crazy when you think about it. Yeah. Except that you have, so a lot of People in their 20s spend most of their 20s, I mean, it, well, it depends who you are because there's some people who are immediately having kids, getting married, things like that in their 20s. There's other people who are not doing that right away. And um, and But in theory, we hope everybody's working. Mm -hmm. You're absolutely mm -hmm. you know, right about mm -hmm. that. But, um, but you can – I mean I have a son who's about to be 24 and he lives with a bunch of friends from college, right? He hangs out with but you know, people he works with, people he – not so much the people he works with because he's he's never had – he's never experienced a job where you actually go in every day, right? Because he started working right. during the pandemic. Yeah, so yeah, he's, yeah. he's like, I actually do worry about that. I think there's going to be this whole generation of young people who have not learned something fundamental about – about work, about the social thing. Yeah, and because right. I want to go back to what you, you, so I tend to be someone who, um, is not nearly as an alarmist about social media as most people yeah. are. Um, I think there's a whole lot of, there's plenty of good there. There's, there's a lot of bad, but there's plenty of good for relationships. Okay. So you're right that there's a whole lot we can do by, um, talking virtually to people, but I just want to go back and say, I don't want to let it pass without remarking sure. that to me, what was really interesting is that we've been complaining forever, it feels like, about this generation and how all they care about is social media. And they don't. But in fact, they were devastated not to be together in person in school. And I think that gives kind of the lie to the idea that kids don't care about that or that they all they're they're only ever on their phone. Right. And so well, you're talking uh, in broad strokes, Lydia. I don't want to destroy. I mean, you're talking about not everyone was happy. People did like to be at home playing video games and people did. So, I mean, you're talking in real broad strokes, maybe your family, maybe your kids that worked out. I don't know if that's true from a from a big standpoint. I don't I don't know, but I think it's Which, that's a broad brush. Whether what, whether true. that people, you know, that um, people wanted to be close to their friends and that they missed them. I don't know that that's necessarily true. I, I, I don't. It, it, uh, it is true that the great majority of kids were really hard done by being out of school in person and uh, being out of in-person school. It didn't work. Remote school didn't work. Um, it didn't work academically and it didn't work socially. Um it sucked. <laughs> it really did. Um, my kids were older. They didn't have it as bad as some other people did, but, um, but it, no, I think that, that, that we're going to be seeing the cost of the pandemic for kids for years to come, that, that there's, that there was a lot of harm done actually. Um, and a lot of it is, so, I mean, the social part is the part that I you know, and more of an expert on, but yeah, sure. There are some kids that didn't mind. And there's some kids that, you know, never wanted to go to the prom in the first place or, um, you know, who, for whom it was easier, but even the quiet introverted kids have friends that they, that they interact with. Right. And so, um, and there are, there's a whole lot you can get out of the screen, but it is not everything. And there is, actual things that happen in your brain when you're interacting in person, um, that don't happen when you're interacting on a screen. Uh, it's just, there's different responses in your, the way you pay attention and in your, your, your auditory reactions and your, the, 
face-to-face, like eye contact in person primes the social parts of your brain in a different way. Well, well look, Lydia, way. You're, remember you told me I was looking for the negative parts before. It sounds like that's what you're doing <laughs> here now because I think uh, well, there's a social aspect. Yeah. And I understand, you know, uh, you're just you saying that it wasn't a big deal doesn't make it not a big deal. I'm not saying you're not an expert, but I, I, I don't I mean, I don't know that that's true. And I think that there are lots of there are lots of advantages to being able to see people. I mean, to say that remote learning didn't work, I don't want to get into that because that turns into a political conversation, which is ridiculous yeah, to me. But right. but I think that that mm-hmm. when it comes to the social part, you know, you're talking about making friends earlier, you know, saying that like, oh, we'll just talk to them on the phone and that's enough. Right. So, you know, if you're if you're in person with people, seeing them every day, of course, it's not as good as being next to somebody. Um, I mean, that's to make that argument's ridiculous because it's not possible. Right. <laughs> so it's like, of course, it's not as good, well, well, but it's, no, it fits no, the no. bill and it's, it scratches I, the itch yeah. and it's you know, it works well. So, yes, I think I think actually I don't think we're saying things that are as radically different as what you're as what you think. I'm I'm saying that that there was a real cost. But I absolutely agree with you that, you know, especially at the beginning, there wasn't there was nothing else we could do. And so we needed to make the best of it. And thank God we had social media and technology and the ability to I don't know what we would have done if we didn't have the ability to do things the way we did. Um, And so social media and Zoom and all those things became really, really important. Um, That's absolutely true. And it's but so when I said before that you can get something out of your friendship or you can work on maintaining the friendship if you have limited time with a phone call or um, text chain or whatever it is. What well, I, what's the up, by the way, you say, did say what's up as well, which is a digital oh, what's up, form what's as well. Up, yeah. Yes, yes. No, exactly. I'm saying you can use all that, but that that's to maintain a relationship when you're really busy. But it isn't it isn't imagining that that's the only way that relationship ever existed. You started by getting to know each other in person, probably, right? And you will see each other in person again at some point. So it's a it's a bridge, is what I was meaning. Mm-hmm. That it's a way to check in, you know, and show up. That that's viable, you know, at the in that time in your life or during a pandemic, right? It's not, um, but the the relationships that are strongest are the ones that we use to to use like sociologists speak the most channels to to um to connect so that means in person on the phone on social media like if you somebody you connect with in all those different ways is going to be your strongest relationship mm-hmm. um and the ones that uh that are only on social media are not usually as strong as the ones that also have an in-person component. And so I'm saying that the in-person matters, but social media gives you a whole lot of tools. It's how you use them and you can use them for good to connect in an active way or, or not. You can just sort of scroll passively and that's not as healthy. Yeah. I mean, I I think we're using social media differently. I think, but I don't consider zoom social Mm -hmm. media, right? Like Twitter, Twitter, social media, digital technology. I'm saying social media and digital technology as two, two separate things. Um, but you know, we're using technology one way or the other. We're using, we have had to use technology to connect in ways way beyond what we ever did during the pandemic. Yeah, um, well, I, I think it's a good place to end because when it comes to the, all that digital technology, I mean, the thing we can't deny is that we weren't evolved to communicate 
without being in person. I mean, I think that that's that's wholly accurate. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think so. I mean, I, I'm I differ from you. I think social media I, I am an alarmist about social media. I mean, I think smartphones and social media have completely rewired our brains, as a matter of fact. I mean, I think so mm-hmm. science has shown that even your your attention uh, is, is shortened, um, you know, with people who endlessly scroll. You know, I know people who I know mm-hmm. people who I've had over in person to play games with a group of people who, when it's not mm-hmm. their turn, are on their phone scrolling and playing another game, right? Like that's not a phenomenon that is, that's not an ancient phenomenon that is extraordinarily modern. And that is a fundamental rewiring of the brain. And you'd be hard pressed to convince me otherwise. And, and I think that (laughs) that is detrimental to the social aspect. As a matter of fact, that particular person had pulled themselves out Mm -hmm. of the real social interaction, which are the people around Mm -hmm. him. You know, I mean, and mm-hmm. I think that that's devastating. So I, I think that and that's just scratching the surface. But I think, you know, it's we all evolve. Our, the, the plasticity of the human brain uh, is remarkable. And I think as these technologies come in, we will learn how to be social because that being social is a fundamental part of being human. And I think we it will is. we will figure out for better or for worse how to use more digital media um, as we connect with people across the world whom we will never meet. You know, I think it's it's all a big change. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, this is, this, you know, this this can't be the end of the conversation, Lydia. Are you you got to be on mm-hmm. social media. If people want to find you, find your book, uh, get in contact. Yes. How do yes. people get in touch with you? Well, so my website, LydiaDenworth.com, is a sort of access point to all things uh, me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I am on Twitter and Instagram and everything at Lydia Denworth. Um, and so, yes, I'm easy to find. And where do, any place you prefer people to get your book? Bookshop.org that goes through independent bookstores is really great because we love our independent bookstores and we need them. Um, but it is sold wherever books are sold. And if they just go out and get it, I'd be <laughs> That's great. No, <laughs> Let's of be course. Honest. Yeah, of course. And I'll put everything up on the website. And if you want to find the show, okay. uh, you know, we're on social media at Fascinating Noun on Twitter, at Fascinating Nouns on Facebook. Fascinatingnouns.com is where you find us. Uh, but this is, you know, this is kind of, uh, it's, it's, a, it's an amazing conversation. I, I think, Lydia, I think you've stumbled on, you know, uh, heart disease, <laughs> cholesterol, um, all that stuff. <laughs> Those are the things of the past. I think friendship, which is fundamental and not something that's easily changed as diet and exercise. I think you've struck on something here that is vital to the survival of the human race. Uh, so uh, it is, you know? it is absolutely. Yeah. I agree a hundred percent. So call your friend after you listen to this show. Hey, call your friends. <laughs> I, I will do that. I have to do it, Lydia, because I, I, I work out a lot. And if it's all getting thrown out the window because I'm not keeping in touch with my friends, uh, I'm worried about this. Uh, I'm sincerely worried. Yeah. Um, but but until next time, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. This has been just a fascinating conversation. And I love your book and I encourage everyone to go out and buy it. All right. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. And I want to thank everyone for listening. Have a good night. Fascinating Nouns is a Glencoe production and is hosted and produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The show producer for this episode was Sarah Brandt. The Fascinating Nouns introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and E.A. Barrientos with music and sound design written and performed by E.A. Barrientos. And I'm guessing after listening to this, you never want to miss another episode. You're going to want to subscribe. We are on all of your favorite podcasting platforms, and we even have links right there on our show website, which is fascinatingnouns.com. You can find all the links right there. And let's say you don't have a favorite podcasting platform. That's no problem. You can listen to every episode right there on the website, which is once again, fascinatingnouns.com. And while you're there, 
don't forget to sign up for our newsletter. It's a great way to learn more about the episodes that you're listening to, find out about upcoming episodes, and to just keep in touch with the community. It's right there on the website. And speaking of community, there's no better way to stay in touch than on social media. And you can find links to our shows, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and YouTube pages right there on the front page of fascinatingnouns.com. And speaking of YouTube, there's a video version of this episode there right now, uh, as well as other past episodes and all future episodes. It's going to be right there, youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. It's a great way to see all the guests and, uh, you know, check it out live and in person. Feel like you're there in studio. Great way to do it, youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. And finally, if you like this show, you're going to like everything that I do. Go to DanielJGlenn.com and check out all of my projects and see what's going on. Once again, thank you for listening. End of transmission.